Support Black Podcast. Meet Shannon, Cameron, Lauren, and Mel. Four black women who are bonded by nerd culture as they discuss all things comics, games, movies, and TV. Join them bi-weekly on the Nerds of Prey podcast. That's Nerds of Prey, P-R-E-Y, podcast. A different kind of nerd culture podcast because they love you back. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and every place that you find the best in podcasts, including nerdsofpreypodcast.com. Check them out. And remember, support Black Podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Triple. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. It's All Soul, Wednesdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on G-Town Radio. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are going back to the year of 1971 to visit Sidney Poitier, Will Gear, Bradford Dillman, in James Goldstone's Brother John, which was distributed by Columbia Pictures, but is in fact, and in almost every single solitary way, a Sidney Poitier production. Yes. Big time. Um, but before we do that, we are going to, as always, look into all of the feedback that we have gotten from each and every one of you that emails us at showmission at gmail.com likes and follows us on Twitter and Facebook as well as on Instagram. We got a lot of people that that enjoy our Instagram post of like the movies that are coming up mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so we appreciate that. We really, really do. Um, we got an email. We Last week we reviewed what did we review? We reviewed um, Which Way Is Up, if I'm correct. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I, th- I thought that's what we reviewed. <laughs> I, it certainly seemed like that was the way we reviewed. Uh, let's see. Uh, MC Picket Fence hey, emailed what's up, us. MC Picket Fence. Which Way Is Up? Perfect. I could say. I could not say more or less about this past week's review. I first saw this movie a little over 20 years ago while in college. And every time ever since then, I still cry laughing every time I see it. This is definitely a must-see movie. I agree. I agree. You certainly did. And he also thanked us for the shout-out and playing his song at the end Absolutely. of the- It's a good song. Yeah, it was kind of cool, we right? We like good stuff. Yeah, we like good stuff. So, you know. So, Thank you. Yes. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Walter Smith hit us up. Hey, what's up, Walter? Love the Which Way is Up review. Um, hit it right on the head about the women's agency yeah. in, the mil- in the movie. And that was good. That was kind of cool to see that somebody else kind of like uh, co-signed yeah. Yeah. Know, with us on that. Um, 
We also heard from going just rifling through our emails from Aaron Fry. What's up, Aaron? Who said, I'm going to say it, and even though my comic book nerd friends think I'm out of my mind, I'm putting it out there. Whenever, whenever they get around to making another Spider-Man film, I would like the powers that be to cons- consider in the role of Dr. Octopus, Queen Latifah. Mm. My friends think a woman could never be a worthy villain. I say they're wrong. I need your expert opinions. Am I too outside the box with this or does the idea in fact have merit? I think in the five seconds since I've been sitting here, it could work. I think Queen Latifah is a good enough actress Mm -hmm. to get across the Otto Octavius. Yeah, Otto Octavius. Yeah, sort of the arrogance Mm -hmm. and the hubris that you get from, you you know, those Spider-Man science-based villains. And then certainly she could play a supervillain. Well, we know she can play a supervillain. I like it. I like it. You do? I do. What do you think? I like the idea of Queen Latifah playing a supervillain. I don't know if I see her playing Doc Ock. Doc Ock. Yeah. Um, Mostly because, like, Albert Merlina in the Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Was really the first time I cared about Dr. Octopus. Sure. Now, I know since then, and a couple of times, he's had a couple of kind of interesting storylines. Yeah. Uh, uh, JD, my partner on Gutter Talk, tells me about a a really cool, I guess, storyline or moment in time for Spider-Man. When Dr. Octopus takes over Spider-Man's body. Oh, that's the superior Spider-Man. Yeah. That storyline. And And... That, in theory, and him telling me about some of the machinations that happened during that sound kind of cool to me. Yeah. But other than that, I don't find Doc Octopus that... I'm going to do a super duper deep dive, and then I'm coming right back up. My favorite Dr. Octopus story is actually during John Byrne's run of the Fantastic Four. I was Four. just about to say that. Yeah. That's the only other time I that's, cared about him. That's my him. favorite Dr. Octopus story. It's the one that I felt the arms were threatening. Mm-hmm. And you got a sense that, like, I think all of the spider, like, like I'm in the school of Spider-Man is, is a case of science run amok and someone makes the right decision with that. You know, the great power, great responsibility, so that the great Spider-Man villains Mm -hmm. are science run amok with weak men. Right. So that that Fantastic Four story really captured Doc Ock and and the weakness that he had. Now, give people the 30-second... Basically, uh, Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman are having a baby because of the cosmic radiation. They have they're, they're having difficulties with the birth. And long story short, Doctor Octopus, because of his training, is as an actual doctor. As an actual doctor, ha- has the expertise that they need. And Mr. Fantastic has to try and convince convince dr octopus to help and this kind of sets up that he really has a split personality the arms have a mind of their own and it's eerie mm-hmm. like it's this really creepy eerie story yeah yeah there was really i was real. i was just going to say that that's now i'm right back time. up now i'm off of doctor that's a whole different thing it is yeah it's totally different but but i like it 
I like Queen Latifah. As, no, I think I, that could work. Like I say, I can see Queen Latifah as a villain. Right. You know what I mean? You want to think think outside the box? I'll tell you outside the box. Aaron, you think you're outside the box? No. You you need to come outside your box and meet me. Queen Latifah, if you're going to put it in a villain role, not that it, this needs to be done because I think it's well cast as it is, mm-hmm. but make her the kingpin. That could work. Ah, I can see that, that could work. That could absolutely work. I could see her chewing the hell out of that. Scenario. That could absolutely work. Now, she doesn't need to be the kingpin because I absolutely love Vincent D'Onofrio as the kingpin. Right. And we're seeing a riff of that sort of the black woman as the kingpin in Black Lightning to a certain degree. Are we really? Jill Scott's she... character. As Lady Eve, I think you kind of get that. You're not caught up on. No, I am caught up. I don't want to. Okay, but I'm also so caught up that I don't necessarily think we know the whole story. Like I think true that in in that same episode. That's true. That you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. But yes, I like that, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Uh, And then we got an email from Sandy McKnight. Hey, Sandy. Who, in going through our archives and catching up on the show, mm-hmm. recently watched our episode reviewing Putney Swope. Oh, old school. Very much. It was interesting how you went from dissing it to realizing you liked it over the course of the show. I think you agree it would be presumptuous for a white filmmaker in the 60s to suggest he had insights into the black experience. Of course, that wasn't the point, as I think you realized upon further discussion. But in 1969, this, Putney Swope, was a radical film and that the stereotypes were purposeful, not coincidental, on both sides. And so you're right. It's not really about race. It's about hypocrisy, capitalism, and commercialism, and Preferable um, on the per- per- peripherally, had <laughs> sounded out mm-hmm. about society's universal corrupting influence. I saw it in 1969 several times and all through the 70s whenever it would play in the theater. And I saw more black than white people at those shows. So it clearly spoke to African-Americans of that time, if not to a younger generation. But that makes sense since the film was made to reflect attitudes of its time and cannot predict how future audiences would react. Anyway, a good listen. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thoughtful. It's very, very. Yeah, I like that. Very thoughtful and and well put. Yes. A- and um, I think she. I I I I'm assuming this is she. So I apologize if I'm wrong. Um, I think she, she's right that, you know, I don't, I don't know if we were necessarily dissing it. We were probably having. We were certainly having some fun. Right. At the movie's expense, but overall, we liked the audacity of the film. Absolutely. You know, and, and applauded it. And you know, love guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. Uh, we got a, a message on Facebook from Rudell Scriven. Hey, Rudell. Who said, I'm too late to give input for Len's trip to my hometown, but I thought this yeah. snippet about chicken boxes was worth sharing after catching up on your last episode. And yeah. he sent us a story about the story behind the chicken box. Uh, yes, it was a fan. It was from the Baltimore Sun. Yeah. Yes, that was a fantastic story. It was pretty cool. Thank you so much for that. And I wish I had seen that 
before I went to Baltimore. Did you get a chicken box? Well, I don't know. Because <laughs> uh oh. I went to the Lexington Mart. Okay. Um first of all, <laughs> it, sketchy does not <laughs> do it justice. Easy. What? You're not from Baltimore. No, no, the Lexington Mart. You can't Mar- talk crazy wait about minute, Baltimore. Wait a minute. The Lexington Mart itself market, is market a, yeah. itself is fine. Yes. It's fine. It's cool. I mean, it's like any other like, you know, um in Dorish uh farmers market that you might find here in 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 the in North Philly. Yes. Something like that. So I d- that didn't bother me at all. Uh-huh. But the surrounding areas, we have challenges with 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 like the whole block of Hotep. Easy, yes. It's um, yes. We have challenges. (laughs) Yeah, but you got a chicken box or something. Well, I think so. I mean, was because I wanted to the Lexington. I went with Western fries and. Well, now let me ask you. Okay. It was the chicken wings. Yes. And the fries were almost like potato wedges. Yes. And it was two pieces of bread. Yes. You, my friend, had a chicken box. Then then uh, I don't see what the hype is. Okay. Perhaps you didn't get the proper chicken box. Well, how was I to know? You, uh, no, you no, couldn't no. tell me yeah, any particular place. No, no, and no. when I went in there, all, with all due respect... It was a long search to find the chicken that didn't look dusty. Yes. There was a lot of dusty looking chickens. It is Lexington Market has seen better days. Yeah, man. And there have been plans afoot for at least two decades to try and do something different. So, yes. But you're right. There's not a lot of black establishments in there. It's, it's a lot of black people. You know what? That is a. But there's not a lot of black establishments. That is a conversation that would be an entire podcast, and there are podcasts talking about Baltimore is is always in my heart. But it's yeah. That really because I was searching. I was like, there's got to be one. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple. Of, there was a couple of soul food places. No, no. I and didn't. I went there, but that food looked a little. Yeah, it was a little yeah, dusty too. I know. I know. You know. Well, it, we'll we'll figure it out. The Reading Terminal. It's not. Yes. No, it's not. It's not the Reading Terminal. It's it's, it's Reading Terminal and and Reading Terminal Market and. That Lexington Market. market. It's, I only went on one side. Does it actually continue it on the does other side of the street? On the other side. Okay, so I didn't go on the other side yeah, of the street. Yeah. So maybe maybe there was the fresher chicken. We are a city dealing with challenges from many different yeah, angles. Yeah, city losing some challenges. Yes, property owners, lack of infrastructure, corruption of local government. Hmm. It's yeah. So, but we'll figure it out. Thank you for the article, though. Yeah, you know, stay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for the article. Thank you for the article. We definitely uh, appreciate it. Yes. Also, check this out, Vince. I don't know if you ch- I don't know how often you get onto Twitter uh, with what's happening with us on Twitter, right? What's happening with us on Twitter? Well, I'm about to tell you. Okay. So cuz I'm going to break this down through the through the timeline a little okay. bit here. Okay. All right. So w- Rachel uh, no, Rachel Dozal's nose ring. Her nose ring has a Twitter account. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Sent out a tweet to 
W. Kamal Bell and Kevin Avery uh, of the Denzel Washington is yeah. the greatest uh, actor in the in the world. Period. Right, right. And said, so we're just not going to discuss Black Panther or Wrinkle in Time. Hmm. Right, right. Which, to be honest, makes sense because they do a show right. about Denzel, Denzel Washington. Right, Denzel Washington is, is in neither of those films. Right, but whether regardless okay so she sends that out right mm-hmm. just randomly to to those two guys and to the fans of their show who are called denzelets okay so oh, they that's have very their, nice it is so they have their own uh uh twitter handle uh denzelets of whom blue girl at blue girl 718 is one of the the denzelets okay so she responds to rachel in the line, mm-hmm. so she responds to Rachel and uh, and um, also means that it goes to W. Kamal Bell and Kevin Avery as well. Yes, and says, "I've moved on to the Michelle mission." Oh no, which is pretty awesome. All right, well, don't move on. You no, listen to both of us. No, she said she's moved on to the Michelle okay. mission. Okay, all right. So she can move on if she wants to. But I, she moved I, on to us. I'll, oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. You know, I like everybody. Right. Pump your brakes. All right. To which W. Kamal Bell responded. Okay. Thanks for the recommendation. Oh, excellent. To which Blue Girl co-signed, you're welcome. It's a great podcast, especially for those looking for some hashtag black people homework. But of course, nothing can replace no one can replace you and Kevin in the hearts of Denzelitz. And gave give him like a big, big Okay. All right. Big kiss. You know what I mean? To which I then coming in. All right. Said I see a crossover with Denzelitz in our future. Hashtag black people doing black things. Hashtag infinite blackness. Hashtag make podcast great again. Yes. To which Blue Girl said, please. All right. To which W. Kamal Bell responded with a big heart. All right. So. I will be spending the next few weeks seeing if I can't line up a little W. Kamal Bell, Kevin Navery, Denzel Washington is the greatest Michelle mission in the history of the world, period. Hey, Denzelitz, Michelle missionaries, we all are one tribe. Yes, we are. So I love everything about that. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. Yes. (laughs) So that was... You have to imagine I made my day. Ah, uh, that's that. a good day maker. That 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 was good that's stuff. That's a good day maker. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. So, with uh, all that being said, I say unto you, my uh, and and shout out to Blue Girl, Blue Girl Seven Eighteen hey, at Blue Girl Seven Eighteen. Good looking out. Good looking out, girl. That's what I'm talking about. That's girl. right. I'm talking about. You girl love the Michelle missionaries. Little, little, little. Aaron also wrote us an email. This is going back a couple of ways, but this can be like a little question that we can put out to people. Okay. About funny lines. What line from any past movie still makes you laugh today? For you guys, I know it's. Do you want some breakfast? 
That shit is never not funny. (laughs) (sighs) Thanks, Aaron. (laughs) For me, he continues, it's do you mind if we dance with your dates from Animal House? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which gets him every time. That nice. is a funny line. Yeah. That is a funny line. So he wants to know, um, so besides do you want some breakfast events, <laughs> yeah. is there any <laughs> line from a... Because uh, somehow it was some CGI involved. I feel like here we go. Ving Rhames was extra naked. <laughs> Like they took off a layer of skin. You remember the Shabarang? I think that was wasn't that the name of one of the Shabarang's albums? Extra naked. Extra naked. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. <laughs> Probably. I can yeah. see Shaba doing that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. For That's me, a good line. For me, um, you know the movie. Uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Yes. I love that movie. Yeah. That's one of those movies that it, it comes on. I have to watch it. I have to. I have to continue to watch it. And there are there are probably about five or six beats in the movie that I like. I just have to see. Yeah. And then after that, I can turn it off. But one of them is near the end because you've seen the movie. Yeah. yeah. And, for the, and people who don't see the movie. It's the movie that started the whole car chasing for a secret item. So they're all go chasing for this this sack of money uh, that. Under a big W. Right. Which, you know, you know, I'll let you see the movie to find what the big W is. But they find it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the movie. So, and they're all going to dig it up. Right? Right. And all the guys are down there and they're digging, they're digging, they're digging. And this movie stars Jonathan Winters, who, to me, is one of the funniest human beings to have ever walked this earth. Yes. And amongst all the other comedic stars in there is a comedic actor named Dick Sean, who I believe is one of the funniest comedic actors ever. And a lot of people, if you don't know him from uh, um, Mad, Mad, Mad World, you may know him from the original um, movie, The Producers. Okay. Because he played a, um, the guy who sang Springtime for Hitler. Anyway, I'm going down a rabbit hole. So they're digging up the dirt, right? And and Dick Sean, he's plays like this like beach bum type of guy in a movie. So he's always like, you know, dancing, dancing, baby, 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 and all this stuff. So the him and Jonathan Winters, they're the strongest guys. So they're digging, they're digging. And but it, it gets too crowded. They're bumping each other and they can't really get down. So Dick Sean is like he turns to him and he's like, Come on man, you gotta get out. You gotta get get out, baby, get out, get out. You're crowding in my scene, baby. Get out, get out, baby. And Jonathan Winters turns and looks at him like, don't call me, baby. <laughs> that was that was it. That's it? That's it. It's You probably have to see it. Hey, man. But it cracks me up. I'm, I go real lowbrow, like my inner white frat boy. Pretty much all of those Wolf Ferrell movies from the mid-90s. Really? Late night. Oh, come on. There's so much. I say there's so much room for activities from Step Brothers at least once a day. Step Brothers is fun. Oh, Step Brothers so is the one with him and John C. Riley, oh, right? Oh, 
please, please, God, save my friend from the invisible fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that escalated quickly. Okay. You know, Rick, why don't you sit the next couple of rounds out? <laughs> oh, yeah. Anchorman. Oh, oh, we're going streaking. We're going streaking, going to the KFC. There was one solid year where me and my friend Bruce said, you're my boy, Blue. Every day to each other from old school. So, like, I'm I'm really, really low. Like, like the Will Ferrell stuff, I, it, it does. I, I can't even front. It cracks me up. It, 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 it's worthy. Yeah, so. Um, I could, I'll still, I still say, like, at least in the modern age, the most quoted funny movie is still Friday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you got knocked the fuck out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. So, anyway. <clears throat> so, thank you to each and every one of you. Absolutely. Let, let us know what is a funny line yes, from a movie that you still that quote. still makes you laugh. Right, right. Yeah, you're still quoting to this very day. Yeah. I don't... I don't I don't think anybody is quoting Don't Call Me Baby, but <laughs> I am. You're sophisticated. <laughs> a, bit, a bon vivant, a man about town. Y'all lucky I didn't tell y'all about Don Knotts in the movie. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Don Knotts and hey, Phil Silvers. Oh, oh, yeah. I don't, I, you know, <laughs> I was reading on, um, I was reading someplace on Twitter and somebody had talked about how, you know, we had done a a really cool review recently, and if only because it introduced us to old man Len. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew it was it was a fair assessment. But as I sit here now and cape for Jonathan Winters, Dick Sean, Phil Silvers, and Don Knotts, it may be old Jewish man, Len. <laughs> well, no, we talked about a little bit last week with Corla, with the amazing Corla. There, there's that beautiful moment where, and, and we, we'll talk about it a little bit because I got a whole Sanford and something. There was that beautiful moment in the mid 60s all the way up to the early 70s where you have that entire generation of mm-hmm. entertainer right. whether it's the Borscht Belt whether it was the Chitlin Circuit whether it was the Las Vegas kind of crew yeah, yeah, yeah. and they all kind of transitioned mm-hmm. into movies and television but they, they, were, they were just they were just these monumental talents just these monumental talents and you would put them in this stuff and and the entertainment would just crackle and pop off of them. Like right. I always joke, remember it was always always a plot in these shows where someone was running out of funding or someone had to raise some money so they would put on a show. Yeah, yeah. And that's when you found out that these actors did all of this different stuff. Right. You know, it's like Aunt Esther swallows fire. <laughs> Lamont could tap dance. You, you know, it's, it's like Michael from Good Times could sing. Mm. All of this stuff. Mm. And how can you not love these people? 
It's the only thing about that Lamont could tap dance thing. Yeah. From what I've heard. Also soft shoe. You did a little soft shoe. Yeah. From what I've heard, it was a long time teaching him that. So you're saying he couldn't tap dance before that episode? No. From what I've because I love reading about yeah, yeah. all this old stuff. Lamont Wilson, wasn't that? Damon Wilson. Damon Wilson. Yeah. Was one one of the biggest jerks once he became a star. Okay. And two, really not that talented. And I never thought he was that funny on the show. Oh, that's funny. Some but, of my favorite episodes are Lamont episodes. See, I think he's I think he can get it over, but I don't think he's like dropped it. No, yeah, I don't think see, he's now, funny see, at all. See now you see see now you've pulled one of my tricks. Like I'm I'm not gonna get pulled into a, a Sanford and Son conversation. Like like we're what are we? What are we? Oh yeah, we're like twenty seven minutes in. <laughs> You're not gonna pull me into a Sanford. All I'm gonna say is the episode where Lamont learns karate. Oh please, Vince! No, that's not when good. Lamont does karate makes me cry when I see it. It's so funny. Lamont doing karate is hilarious. It is not. It is, it is really pitiful. That's the point. No, it's not that's funny. That's actually the whole. It's point. not funny. It is hilarious. It's, it's not. I got a whole thing about that. Those those episodes when Grady was sort of in charge because. Red Fox was having contract disputes. He wanted his money. Yes. Hey, yeah. He wanted his money. And, and that's and, a dispute. And you could see he needed it. Yeah. Because DeMont Wilson was having to carry the load. <laughs> Greedy. Uh, yeah. Winston Mayo. Yeah, Whitman. Whitman, whatever. Whitman Mayo. Chocolate mayonnaise. <laughs> he had the most magnificent hair. Is that what that was? And that beard. He had a wonderful beard. I always thought it was like a gray beehive. It was fantastic. I loved his beard. Really? I did. Really? I've always loved Grady's hair in his beard. I didn't like Grady's hair. This is taking a strange turn. (laughs) (laughs) This is taking a strange turn. But I did. I always envied Whitman Mayo's hair in his beard. This is an the point in the judging of the Cami Awards where judge number three <laughs> well come on let's let's go, ahead, let's go ahead and get to the like when you're at the point you're talking about Whitman Mayo's hair it's time it's to get to the review time to get to the review as we get into the review of 1971's Brother John <laughs> like to live and die a simple life like my father brother john who is he He is the dude that walks by himself. What did he want? Where did he come from? You got any idea where he's been? Black man from Hackley. 
Prague, East Berlin, Cairo. You pick him up, you don't let him get away. Till I find out who the hell he is and what he's doing. Now, do I have to get Judge Picker out of bed and get a bench warrant? What have you seen? What do you want from me, Dr. Thomas? I can't tell you anything. I know. You might just be a paranoid schizophrenic, and I might be a senile psychotic sharing your delusion. That's possible. I'll just tell me you love me when and if it creeps up on you. I love you now, but there's no time. John, 1971 drama about a enigmatic African-American man who shows up every time a relative is about to die. In this story, he returns to his Alabama hometown as his sister is dying of cancer. This film produced by Joel Glickman, directed by James Goldstone and written by Ernest Kenoy stars Sidney Poitier, Will Gear, Branford Dillman, Beverly Todd, Raymond Bayeri, Warren Kemmerling, and Lincoln Kilpatrick, as well as in a small but very meaningful role, a young, wild Paul Winfield. And this film is a production of Sidney Poitier's as he put his money where his mouth in mouth was in backing this 1971 drama, the selection of Vince. What say you of brother John? This, this film is, is actually a perfect example of, of the selfish reason that I do this podcast. Like, this is exactly what I wanted. I've had no less than three conversations about Brother John since we started doing this, where people say, oh, Brother John, or, you know, y'all should watch Brother John. And quite honestly, I forget who I spoke to about it first, Mm -hmm. but, you know, longtime Michelle Missionary Robert Monroe Jr., he and I had a conversation about it a couple of months ago. Okay. And I said, you know, I wanted to watch it, wanted to watch it. And I am fascinated by this movie for a couple of different reasons. Like, I liked it, but then I was kind of fascinated by it. And I am going to pull executive privilege and say that if you have not seen Brother John and you are one of the missionaries that kind of watches it with us and, and, or, or you watch it based on our recommendations, I would ask that you watch it first. Yeah, definitely. Before you listen to this. Definitely. Because... I think part of the power of this film for me 
was trying to figure out what was going on mm-hmm. throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, go ahead, hit pause, go and listen to, you know, like the school days podcast and <laughs> watch it and then come back. All right. All right. Everybody else. This is a type of film that scratches a couple of very specific itches of mine. Okay. So, you know, let me start with that as sort of a disclaimer. I love what I call lo-fi sci-fi. And by lo-fi sci-fi, like this would be science fiction that there aren't any special effects. There aren't any, you you know, kind of whiz-bang type of things. It's much more cerebral. And this film is so lo-fi sci-fi. That arguably it's not science fiction. Mm-hmm. And even if you count it as science fiction, when you look at at the, the criticism of it, which I will talk about in a moment, many critics viewed it as fantasy. Right. You know, and then, you, you know, I'll talk about the critics in a moment. But, you know, you have Brother John and, and you have Sidney Poitier playing this very dispassionate, for the most part, mystery character. Mm-hmm. And then the whole film you have people sort of trying to figure out who he is. As you said, he comes back to the Alabama town. He grew up in the town, left the town when he was 16, has been back, I believe, twice to the town. Yes. His father died seven years ago. He came to the town. Another relative died. His mother. His mother, but she died out of town somewhere Mm, else. Right. And come to find out, he showed up there. Now his sister has died. His sister played in one scene by, by Lynn Hamilton. Yes. You know, another one of these great working 70s actors is speaking of the devil, probably best known as Donna from Sanford and Son. Right. She played Donna in Sanford and Son. And what I put in my notes initially is that he's almost a reverse magical Negro. Where, you know, the magical Negro, oftentimes he shows up, he doesn't have a background, and his whole purpose is to help out the white characters. Mm -hmm. Where in this case, John shows up, he he hangs out with the black part, because it's a small southern town, 1971. And the white characters spend the whole film trying to figure out who he is yeah where he's from what's his deal you know come to fi- come to find out he's very well traveled mm-hmm. he speaks you know six seven languages he doesn't have a lot of luggage you know a lot of belongings rather he's so detached from any type of worldly affair that there no one quite knows what he is and frankly the film almost does this sleight of hand where they almost, I'm not even going to say almost, I think they set it up that he's an angel. You want to believe he's an angel. And at first I'm thinking he's the angel of death mm-hmm. because he only shows up when people dies. But then by the end you realize, and again, last chance, folks, that he's an envoy of aliens who are judging us. And he's sort of passing, you know, and... I love that. So, you know, it's like a pinch of the day the earth stood still. It's a dash of Starman from a few years after that. I got a little bit of um, The Man Who Fell from Earth, which comes five years after this with David Bowie. So I love that. And then, you know, like when you find out at the end that he is sitting in judgment, maybe, because there's there is no 
there's no scene that definit- definitively establishes that this is what's happening. Yeah. All you have is you don't see him enter town. You don't see him leave town. He speaks all of these languages. And then there's this wonderful plot device of the passport book mm-hmm. where he's been to all these different places. And there's this great scene where the, their two white characters basically say it is impossible for this high school dropout, this black high school dropout to have traveled all of these places. So there's that part of it. And I just love that little part of it. Then there's sort of the criticism around this, which I found to be fascinating reading it this afternoon, where, where people said that, you know, again, if, if you see this figure as an angel, they see this as Sidney Portier because it is a Sidney Portier production. Right. Sidney Portier is setting himself up as this larger than life figure. And, you know, basically he's starting to believe his own press and and you know he's so dispassionate he's so detached and to a certain extent when we talk about the Sidney Poitier character and he's basically the the prototype respectable negro this is it to the nth degree where there's no passion there's no anything and then as as years have gone by it really has turned into this sort of cult film where it is kind of you know once you start looking for for writing about it people have you know people have kind of latched on to it as the years have gone by and i think interestingly enough this interpretation of portier as as an agent of an alien species as opposed to an angel has gained more traction mm. and then finally i'm fascinated by Sidney Portier at this time. This is after all of the iconic Sidney Portier films. Okay. To Sir with Love, Lilies of the Field, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, The Defiant Ones. The Defiant Ones, The In the Heat of the Night, all of those films are behind him. Mm-hmm. And by 1971, People are already talking about Sidney Poitier as if he is this iconic figure. Mm-hmm. He hasn't moved into his 70s work yet. So, you know, Buck and the Preacher is, I think. Um... Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jackie's Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. No. Oh. What's the best way to eat a taco? Vince? With your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. That's so that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. Um, 70... 74? 72. Okay. So this comes out in 71. Bucking the Preacher is a year after this, which, you know, I would argue is the beginning of, like... Sidney Portier's black movies, right? Because you know, then you get Buck and the Preacher, then you get the um the movies with Bill Cosby, so on and so forth. 
So he's really in this weird transitional state mm-hmm. in 71. So there's this kind of metatextual element to it where, where you know, the, the, the white people are trying to figure him out, the white people. But you have these scenes where he is trying to be a part of the black community and, you know, how comfortable he is or is not, I think, is up to the viewer. But you see the beginnings of what you'll see in the Bill Cosby movies where he kind of, you know, he's kind of figuring out his speed. So I'll, I'll stop there with this and kind of let you. No, I was digging what you were saying. Um, I, I had never seen this film. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I honestly had not heard of the film. So I was, I was pleasantly surprised to watch it and uh, haven't seen the film now. I now have a new favorite Sydney Poitier movie. Oh wow! I've enjoyed almost every aspect of this film. Um, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed his his, his usual. He was. He, I mean, he's Sydney Poitier in his movie, but to me. He came off even a little bit, a little bit more quiet, a little bit more dignified, and I think that's because his role is to play above it all, whether or not it be the den from the black people or the den from the white people. I'm above it all, you know what I mean? And he just rode that so perfectly, except except the moments where it was if you believe he was an envoy from space or an angel or whatever, however you choose to read it. And I'll get on that in a moment, except the moments where let's put it this way. Death took a holiday and he's enjoying the town. Yeah. With, uh, with the young, with, uh, Beverly Todd, Mm -hmm. Louise. Um, and even in those scenes, he's still being, Smooth Sidney Poitier, and 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 he was, and I was uh, digging his performance, and I loved the story. Uh, in that it didn't hold your hand, it just put it out there and made you think. You know, you weren't sure of exactly where he came from, what what was going on. Like you said, you spend the whole movie trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this guy right you know um uh and you saw everyone there trying to deal with it from the cops who you know just assuming that he was a high school dropout they're the ones that say he's a high school dropout they just assume that he had to have been a high school dropout because he left when he was 16 left town when he was 16 right you know that doesn't mean that he didn't go to high school someplace else you know what i mean so they just assume all of these things you can just see the without except for a few moments without the whole racial tension of this small town being uh, thrown up on the wall for you, it still is there. And just that they can't believe that this, what is this man doing traveling the world? Who, right, right. Like, how, da- how dare this black man <laughs> right. know more than me? Yeah. You know, 
what's this? What's this? This the Quran, and you can read it." He's like, "Yes." How, who are you that you can read the Quran and I can't? Right. You know what I mean? And it's not like they didn't know that it was Arab writing. The, the one guy, the cop says, like, yeah, I know I know that writing is written on my lodge sheet. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but I know it's Arab. I know Arab when I see it. Um, so I was digging that and then also digging that, you know, black people didn't even know how to take them. Mm. They didn't they didn't know what to make of him. Not that he was doing anything wrong. He wasn't doing he was living his own uh, as far as he he was concerned he was just doing his thing. You know what I mean? But they didn't know how to take him. And they, and they had to come at him wrong. And then he had to he had to put him on the ass. Oh my so, so good. Um but uh, uh um yeah, so there was just like there was like uh, not a misbeat in this movie. Uh, I love the direction by James uh, Goldstone. I love like that there were a whole lot of close-ups, yeah. and they were smartly done. Uh, there was one close-up where a cop just turns his head into the frame, and you just see his eyes, and you just see all the hatred all on his eyes, and it was just a real it's just real brilliant storytelling such i mean there's a scene where you know will gear is an old country doctor that that brought everybody in in into into this world in this land um goes to see Sidney portier's sister because he realized that you know she's as far as he she he's concerned she's about to die he turns the corner Unbeknownst to him, Sydney's already there in the room, looking out the window, and you see the the sister dead with the sheet over her on the bed. Yeah, such a striking image. I mean, it was, it was just a, a very smart, understated uh, direction and acting in this film, uh, where. You know, there are critics of the film. There are a lot of people that, that did not like this film. Oh, yeah. I think when it came out, it was absolutely panned. It was panned. Vincent Canby of the New York Times, reading from Wikipedia, said, If Brother John is a disaster, and it is, the responsibility is Mr. Portier's, whose company produced the film and hired everyone connected with it. Time has run out. It's too late to believe that he's still a passive participant in his own prema- premature deification. Yeah. I didn't see him as being as, as being uh, like the deification. I actually thought what he was doing was a little bit more subversive in this film that he was taking the place that he Sidney Poitier had built for himself in Hollywood and in people's perspective of him and then using that to have you see him in this film in one way so that when the twist comes, you don't see it coming. I completely categorically agree with you. And that's, it, like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, it was it was it was so smartly it was it was it was perfect. It was letter perfect. And I think part of the reason that we picked that up, and like I said, I think later critics, when you read later things about yeah. this, people pick it up. I think we're far enough away from Sidney Portier as a living, breathing icon. Like, like, remember when this came out? It's two or three years after 
all of the other film. True, true. So since we're not sitting in it, I think it's easier for us to see it too. It's but easy, I absolutely agree with you. It's easier for us to see it for, for uh, because of that, but also these people who you have to con- consider at least your major critics mm-hmm. of that time in the newspaper. This is the New York Times. Vincent Canby. He ain't a brother. You know right. what I'm saying? These are uh, white people who are they more or less are just looking at Sidney Poitier and and they might as well be looking at John Cain's passport. It's like, how dare this brother? Yeah. Who is he to be up on this pedestal? Dude. And that's the and that's the lens through which they are seeing that. Dude, I I won't even I I won't even say on this pedestal so much as outside of how we view this. Like I think again it's 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 such it's played so subtly that I wouldn't argue against someone that much that it wasn't science fiction. Like really his last speech mm-hmm. to um William Gear in the in the jail cell where he talks about like he gives this great speech where he says that mankind is like maggots on a piece of fruit. Mm-hmm getting you know on earth like a piece of fruit and they're about to jump from the fruit out first to the moon and then to the stars Mm -hmm. and then the doctor replies and they don't want us there is that what it is to which he replies yeah that's what it is so that now like i said this is a rift like this is a very standard science fiction story where mankind is being judged and we're judged not as being ready to join the rest of the civilized galaxy or the civilized universe and you know i mentioned i I don't know if we were on my oh no we were talking before we started taping Mm -hmm. about about the spirit and and talking about that great old EC Comics story, Judgment Day. You, yeah, man. Where an astronaut goes in the future and he judges a planet. Of, well, he's he's going to a planet of robots trying to decide whether or not they're going to join this cosmic federation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the robots are, are identical. One set of robots is a different color than the other. And one set, um, you, you know, is basically racist against the one color so that at the end of the story the astronaut says you're not ready to join us and then of course the astronaut gets on the spaceship takes off his helmet and he's a black man right which appropriately enough this is actually how i knew a couple of years ago that me and robert monroe would be cool because that was his avatar on his facebook page <laughs> at one point. but you know it's the day the earth stood still it's you know it's at least one or two episodes of Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone, where you have this, so that when you place a black man in the role of judge, which frankly, outside of that aforementioned EC Comics story, I don't think there was another case of this before Brother John. I think a lot of critics just didn't know what to do with that. Yeah, see, it's interesting you say that because. Uh, um, I think the lines that you you speak about at the end, I think I missed them, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's very likely that I did because while I was watching it, like Tawana came home and I was talking to her for a little bit right there in the end. So it's very likely that I missed those. How dare you talk to your lady? I know. 
instead well, of do- doing this. I hadn't been home for a couple of days, so I missed her. So. <laughs> yes. How dare you miss your lady? <laughs> I know. Uh, so, so I missed I missed those lines. So perhaps if I had missed those lines, I might be more inclined to agree with you mm-hmm. about the science fiction aspect. I mean, on every other level, we agree. Yeah. But but I still am very much of the of the camp that he was an angel okay. judging us for right. Judgment Day. Right. And that Will Gears, uh, um, you know, begging of him at the end, you know, like, you know, like, well, when's it coming? You know, right, right, right. Was like, you know, can I at least get my affairs in order, you right. know, or whatever. Um is like to me was more just like like cosigning like okay yeah that's that's what he is oh that's what yeah he well is. you got to go back and listen to the lines yeah because maybe he, maybe those lines would because they very your... definitively says he very definitively says something about the stars I know I, it, and and then he very definitively says that they don't want us out there like there's a they and there's a the stars see but I heard that line. Mm-hmm. Yet to me, and maybe I didn't hear it as they, but I heard about not wanting us and him saying no. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was, no, we will not receive the, the kingdom of heaven. So you saw not the stars a physical place, but the stars as as an image, yeah, as a metaphor. Okay, yeah, that's the way that I read. I mean, I like think I you could read it either it, way. It's paper thin. Yeah, it is paper thin. I just like I said, this is this is just one of my one of my itches. Well, again, you can read it any either way, and right. neither way is is wrong. It's right. all in, dependent on through which lens you see the lines. At the end of the day, it it's another testament to this film in that it had the courage to be that ambiguous. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. There's a lot of films that would not, that would, you know, spell it out for you. I think you're right. So I'm fine with whatever interpretation. I was just, I was enjoying every aspect. Also, you know, let me right now I have never. I, I I will say categorically. I have never doubted for one moment the genius that is Quincy Jones. I never have. Okay. But for anyone who has ever doubted the genius that is Quincy Jones, listen to the music in this movie. It's it's amazing. It is so spot on. So letter perfect in the mood that it sets in its playfulness when it has to be meaningful, when it has to be sorrowful, when it has to be tension filled. It is and it is so well placed in the film that it does not distract from any moments that go on. It only helps illustrate. It only adds color to the film. Um so much so that when the music is allowed to take over a scene, you are right there with it and know where where it's trying to lead you. Um, 
it was I found myself just like I could watch this movie again yeah and just listen to the music yeah I was actually looking for it because Quincy Jones actually had a lot of his music on his albums from the 70s and I can't find it mm. but, but the name of the song in particular Children of Summer oh my god that's a beautiful yeah. song man that's a beautiful song yeah which which to your point and my point frankly there is this moment in the early 70s where there is this is sort of like the ancient astronaut stuff. Yeah. Where there is an overlap between the angel imagery and the alien imagery. Mm-hmm. And there is this sort of ethereal nature to the music. Yeah. Where he very much is not of this world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a wonderful scene where, where he's looking at all the natural beauty you know, when this lady is asleep mm-hmm. and he's seeing the natural beauty and he's looking at the animals and there's like little frogs and butterflies. And then it just abruptly is interrupted by, by construction. Right. And you can, you know, and wordless, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the music and it's Sidney Poitier silently acting. And it's, it is, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, man. It's not a, it's not a bad bit. It, in this film, the acting is, is spot on. Yeah, you know Paul Winfield as as sort of a bad. It's it's weird seeing Paul Winfield play like a brusque jerk because I think when you see Paul Winfield, he's he's usually kind of noble. Yeah, he's usually on the side of the angels. Yeah, so it, yeah. you know, I thought this was an interesting performance by Paul Winfield. Well pulled off, though. Oh, absolutely well pulled off. You know, our boy was um, Richard Ward is in here. And he's not the bad guy. Richard Ward is... He's still kind of pitiful, though. He's pitiful. But he's not the bad guy. He's pitiful. Oh, I mean... Oh, he's pitiful. But you want to talk about another powerful scene, man. Yeah. He's pitiful, but you understand his perspective. Absolutely. You know, because you got to remember, he's an older guy. Yeah. So you understand his perspective and what he's being made to eat, more or less, in this film. And... um. I think it's a really cool scene where you see his youngest son, who you couldn't have to imagine. It's not really cool watching his pop eat a eat a lot of like stuff from this from this racist cop that has just right. walked up into their house. Right. Um, but after some things go down, understands his dad's perspective. It's it's a great scene. I mean, just to to set it up, you know, the racist cop comes in because, of course. The, the white power structure is trying to figure out John's deal. Yeah. And and Richard Ward plays his brother-in-law. Right. Because, you know, the sister has died. And the racist cop comes in and he's doing, you know, basically the stereotypical small town cop stuff. Richard Ward's character actually stands up to him. Yeah. Because his children are there and he's, you know, he's just finished talking about how he and his wife are trying to set good examples for their children. And then the policeman says, basically, I know your boss. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like an outtake from Nothing Like a Man. Yeah. Where you see that the entire power structure is against these black people. And then in retrospect, now that we know that Brother John is here to judge whether it is as an angel or an agent of alien powers, this is another moment Yep. where you see him you know there's this wonderful there's this wonderful detail where in his his belongings he has all of these journals Mm -hmm. 
And at one point, one of the characters asks him, well, why isn't there anything written in them? And he says, because I don't need to. I just keep them to remember. Right. But everything that I need to know, I, you know, they ask him again how you learned all these languages. And he said, because I listen. And you get the sense that he records everything that he sees and everything that he hears. So that by the end, when you realize that we are being judged and you think back to everything he's seen throughout the film, whether it's the racism, whether it is the, the brusque behavior of other black people, and you realize that this is this this is this is what we get. Yeah. You know, also love the detail where um, William Greer's character actually points out, he says, you know, the cards are kind of stacked against us. They have you born a black person in a town like this. Right. Where he acknowledges that there are people who their view of life is going to be a certain way just because of what they look like. Yeah. You know, very subtle, um, subtly played moment. I liked talking about callbacks <clears throat> going into that scene where, um, you know, the, the cop comes into the house and, you know, we already gave the spoiler alert. Um, Brother John has to deal with it. Yes. In a, in, 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 man, does he deal with it? <laughs> I mean, type of mystical Kung Fu. Yeah, man. I, he hits him in his back four times. Wah, wah, wah. I'm, see, that was all pressure points. It was, that's what it was. It yeah. was all pressure points. Cause like you saw, he like deadened my man's arm. My yeah. man could not lift, lift his arm up. So he like pressure points this dude into like submission. So much so the dude just is like, I, <laughs> just get the door. Yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. This did not unfold the way I planned it. Fast forward when Paul Winfield and yeah. his boys yes. are acting a fool. Yeah. And he has he has to chin check their pre- their pressure points, you know, in the dope scene. That same cop comes up. Yes. Now that cop comes up, and he basically tells Brother John, like, you know, come on, just get you know you on your ways when just get on your way, right? And he sends him on a way, and and Paul Winfield's still popping up stuff, and the cop pulls back Paul Winfield, and Brother John pulls off. Let Paul Winfield know. Go, Winfield look. <laughs> And the cop just walk. You'll never know. <laughs> You'll never know. Yeah, I just saved you, boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just oh, saved yeah. you, boy. Because that boy, yes. was about to put y'all there was under. Some type of alien kung fu. Well, by my reading, it was alien kung fu. You see, by my reading, he was taking halos to that ass. You taking halos to that ass? <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> But either way, he was doing work, man. Yeah. Um, Will Gear. Yeah. I know his face from someplace. He was he the grandpa on the on on the Waltons. I was about to say the Munsters. The Waltons. He was not the grandfather on the Munsters. <laughs> that was an entirely different show. Yes, he was a grandpa on the on the on the, on the uh, Waltons. Yeah, which again, people are like Walt Waltons. They don't know. Yes, it was a television show. We're old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and in this film, stealing scenes as she would do for the rest of the seventies, Zara Coley, man, as Miss Nettie, man, who will go on Zara- to be Mother Jefferson. Mother Jefferson. How nice was it to see Zara Coley? It was, man. 
I realized how much I didn't realize how much I missed her. This whole movie, you have these wonderful little characters. You know, I like um, Lincoln Kilpatrick. Yeah, who plays Charlie? Yeah, Green. he's an actor that t- turns up a lot, a lot during the seventies yeah. and in, into the eighties. Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, we mentioned. Um, oh, I just forgot my girl's name. We mentioned very- oh Beverly Todd. No, no. Are you talking about Lynn Hamilton? Yeah, we mentioned Lynn Hamilton. Who played Donna. Plays Donna. Now, to be fair, though, this is the only other thing I've ever seen her in. Besides Sanford and Son is Donna. She was in... She's been in a few things. (laughs) The bad thing is off the top of my head. The the thing I remember her in. You remember when J.J. got shot on Good Times? Yeah. Was she in? Mad Dog, the dude who shot her, who shot J.J., Mm -hmm. she played Mad Dog's mother. Oh. Okay. She actually said one of the worst things I've ever heard one character say to another character in fiction. She looked at Mad Dog and told her son, I wish you were never born. Ooh. Our lives would have been better if you'd never been born. Ooh. And I said, damn. Oh, I think I seem to remember that yeah. one because it hurt him. It hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that character, yeah, you yeah. know, it was like, yeah, I do, I yeah. do kind of remember that. Yeah, that was pretty rough. Beverly Todd, who played Louisa. Yes. Lou. She's an actress that turns up a, a, a bit. She actually plays Sidney Portier's wife in um, They Call Me Mr. Tibbs. So she had acted with Portier before. See, I've only seen, because that's the sequel to In the Heat of the Night. Right. And I'd have only seen that one once. Right. Well, it's not that, that good. good. Yeah. And then the organization is... Like, like you, like you actually feel like the ancestors watching you, <laughs> so you can't turn from it. Right, <laughs> right. Like, like that tree from Black Panther, and all of my ancestors were sitting in the tree as I sat and watched the organization. But I wanted to turn from it really badly, but I couldn't. <laughs> it's like I know old school is on somewhere. <laughs> So, <laughs> but yeah, Beverly Todd, who's great in this role, and they have great chemistry. They have very good chemistry. They have great chemistry. And, you know, again, I think talking about him being this reverse magic Negro, he does not, quote unquote, emote that often in the film. But when he does, he just lights up. It does. You know, there's yeah. a scene with him with the kids. Mm-hmm. He has a couple of scenes, as you said, with Beverly Todd. And and he's fantastic. Yeah. He's fantastic. And like I said, I think one of the things that I enjoy about Sidney Poitier's performances as the 70s go on, particularly with the in the Bill Cosby, the films he made with Bill Cosby, is, is this space that Sidney Poitier creates where, you know, everybody is sort of, you, you know, very 70s, very hip, very this, very that. And and Sidney Portier is very much Sidney Portier. Right. And yet he finds this space where he's never out of place right. with his right. people. Yeah. And and it's it's fantastic. It's 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 lovely looking at all of these at, at these different shades of blackness, these mm-hmm. different types of blackness together. But everybody is cool. But I see and when I see stuff like that, it makes me want to go back in time or I guess talk to people at that time 
to understand where did the backlash against Sidney Poitier come from? I mean, I think anytime you are a black person, and, and you know, frankly, I believe this right now. I think, uh, like, anytime you are a black person that white people are comfortable with, it is suspicious. Because more times than not, for a black person to be somebody that white people are sort of automatically comfortable with, a lot of times you have altered your behavior. And I think the thing about Sidney Poitier, it doesn't seem like he did. Like, it doesn't seem like Sidney Poitier was putting on. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just who he was. Right. But sort of like the critics panning this film, like I said, you know, a half hour ago, I think if they were just there at that moment. Mm-hmm. I think time had to pass. Like, I think people thought Sidney Poitier was was pretending to be this non-threatening Negro. Mm. And he kind of did all this stuff and and it was it was it was a disguise that he wore. And, you know, that coupled with the fact that in many of these films, he was he was, if not desexualized, almost asexual. I understand the instinct at the time. Obviously, in 2018, I'm a huge fan of Sidney Poitier and I'm fascinated by his blackness. Mm hmm. But I, I like I get the instinct. I got you. You know I get it. But you know again I think it was just, um, I think it was that time. I think it was a time period. And 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 you know to Sidney Poitier's credit, it it seemed like a lot of it slid off his back. Like I like you didn't like like you you know there's some people I could name that that you know you get the feeling that they would. Well, y'all don't want me in an F you. I'm just going to do my thing. Very true. Sidney Poitier was not one of those actors. And, you know, as we said, the very next year, he makes Buck and the Preacher. And then he makes a series of films. Yeah. That are, you know, all black cast. Mm-hmm. All, you know, everything. And he never really alters his Sidney Poitier-ness, if you will. His Sidney Poitier-ness? Yeah. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um... Yeah, this, he and and he made a good film. Then I don't know why people are, you know. I mean, I will say this. As you said, it is not a film that holds your hand. I can see people being frustrated with this film. Like, I think you need to be in a certain headspace to dig this film. Like you said, there aren't a lot. Of like like it seems like certain plot elements are going to be more important mm-hmm. than they are. Like there's this whole sort of subplot about the workers at the local factory yeah, unionizing yeah. and you know, in fact initially they think that Brother John is an outside agitator mm-hmm. and it seems like all of that is going to be much more important. Yeah. Than it ultimately is. True. And, you know, you know, at the end, that's the point of the film, that all of this stuff is unimportant. Right. Because, you know, all of this is going away. Right. I think the love story is ultimately frustrating because it just ends. 
Yeah, but but to me, that's part of the mystery of who he is. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah, I'm just saying I could understand a person who you know can't really. It is frustrating though, in that it is. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it really it really broke my heart. Well, that speech he gives, where there just is no time. Like I want to do all these things, but there's no time left. Yeah, and you also felt like. Without him there, she would be left to the devices of Paul Winfield's character. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, maybe she she could keep up for herself, but the thing is, like, you don't want her to have to deal with him just being this jerk. Well, apparently, she's not going to have to. Well, see, but that's the other thing. Yeah. So that's the other heartbreaking thing right. about it. He's like, oh man, now she's gonna have to deal with him being a jerk. Oh, well, well no, actually, she, she right. might not even be there. Right. It's, you know, cancel Christmas. Right. Like that. The, the the final shot of the film where she's hanging up her laundry, and the wind is blowing so hard that she can't do it, and then she sort of looks up, and then the film goes off. Well, that's not the final shot of the film. What's the final shot of the film? The final shot of the film is because you see all of this, like the wind blowing, yeah. you know, and everything like that. You do see her hanging up her laundry and stuff. But the final shot of the film is you see a bus driving out of town. Right. But there's no indication that he's on it. Understandably. But that's still the final shot of the right, film. Right, right, right. So you're saying that's. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I. I, I I I really don't know. Well, I think that might be part of the ambiguity. Yes, that's part. They don't yeah. show him on the bus, right? But you could make the argument that that he's, that he's on the bus, right? Because again, you know, you don't see him come into town, and you don't see him leave. Exactly. So, good film, though. Good film. Very good film. Good film. I enjoyed it a great deal. And again, this is one of the things I was actually looking for when we started this. Like I knew people would bring stuff that I didn't know about. So, so like I said, shout out to everybody that we talked about this. Certainly, shout out again, Robert Monroe Jr. We talked about this a few months ago. So, hail Robert! All hail Robert! Hail Robert! Well done, well done. Check it out, brother John. So you would recommend? It. I would highly recommend this film, and it, if you are an Amazon Prime uh, subscriber. Then, well, then you still have to subscribe to Brown Sugar. Right. Uh, but then if you subscribe to Brown Sugar, which is only like four bucks, I think, like a month yeah. or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's right there for you. Yeah. For I highly recommend pleasure. it as well. I actually would recommend, because this is what I'm going to do at one point, a double bill of this and the man who fell to earth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I was thinking about, for some reason, this film was putting me in the mind of um, Book of Eli. It made me want to watch that again. Oh, okay. I don't know why. It just put me in that mind. And maybe it's because I was in my mind. I was thinking if they remade this movie, this would be Denzel. Oh, oh, Denzel would destroy this. Yeah, Denzel Washington would destroy. Denzel this would destroy this film as it is now. Yeah, but if they remade it, I think they would mess it up. You'd have to well, get a really smart director. I think part of the power of this film is the mystery of this black man. No, I understand. Who has, but in, in 1971, it's more 
<laughs> you know, it's damn near science fiction and or True. fantasy that this black man has traveled to all these places. That he has and, a passport. And that he has a passport right. and speaks all these languages than it is in 2018. True. Yeah, yeah, because he's LeBron James in 2018. Right. Or just random millennial. Right. Well, yeah. You know, True just that. random, you know. True that. Most definitely. Black millennials I know all got passport books filled with stamps. So... So check out Brother John, ladies and gentlemen. Check out Brother John. It's our recommendation Absolutely check out Brother John. Before we tell you what we're, re- we're reviewing next week, I want to invite all of you to do three things for us, if you will. If you truly enjoy the Michelle Mission, then you can do us no bigger favor than to go on to iTunes. And go to, you can go to iTunes, even if you don't have iTunes. You can go to iTunes on, online. And... Um, Give us a rating and a ranking on iTunes. Believe it or not, iTunes of all the places that you can find podcasts, iTunes is one of the is the biggest. And when we've got a whole lot of ratings and rankings on there, that helps people find the show. Yes, it really does. So that's a big thing that you can do to help us. And then, if you like what we're doing and you want to listen to more podcasts that are the same, go two things. Look up black podcasts. There are a ton of black podcasts out there. And the the sad fact is that in this world where everybody's got a podcast that is reaching certain minimum levels of, of success, very few of the thousands of black podcasts out there are getting even a tenth of the audience share that they deserve because they're just not promoted like that. For right. whatever reason. And we're not going to dig into that. So if you like what we do, look into other black podcasts. Go join the Denzelettes and listen to Denzel Washington is the greatest uh, actor in the world, period. It there, is I'm sorry, not to cool cut you off, podcast. but there is actually a fantastic website. Um, you would think I'd have it right up, but I don't. Podcast in Color. Yeah. Go to podcastincolor.com. Okay, and that is that is a, a beautiful clearinghouse of black podcasts. Yeah, you'll find the Michelle Mission. I think we're yeah, up, oh we're, yeah, we're on there. We're up on mm-hmm. there. Black Tribbles is on there, but all black podcasts are up there. So check them out, and also find uh, the Michelle Mission. We are on the Podglomerate Podcast Network. Podglomerate dot com has a whole host of very cool, curated like. Like real stylized, sharp, witty, insightful podcast for your listening pleasure. So go to podglomerate.com and check out everything that they got going on there. And then the third thing is you need to get with Becky Whitney. Do you know who Becky Whitney is, Vince? I don't. I don't. I, I saw she joined the Facebook group. But she I, has joined I, I the Facebook group. She is a, uh, a Michelle missionary. Uh-huh. But more importantly, Becky Whitney is the first customer at the Michelle Mission store. Oh, all right. 
right. She bought him a show mission T-shirt. Oh. She bought him a show mission lapel pin. All right. And they had the mail to it. Actually, at the time of this recording, she actually should have gotten it uh, over the weekend. All right. So go to MichelleMission.com yes. and look up store. We got stuff. We got some swag. We've got these lapel pins waiting for you. We've got T-shirts waiting for you. Hit us, hit us up because that helps us, you know, keep the show free and do all that type of stuff. All right. Uh, next week, we will have a guest, Vince. All right. We are going to have Stephanie Humphrey at Tech Life Steph. All right. Who goes all over the place and talking about tech uh, technology. She, You can see her on Good Morning America. You can see her on the, on the Today Show. You can see her on all. I saw her on... Um, um. Oh God, Harry Connick show. Okay, she was shooting basketballs with Harry Con- Harry Connick Jr. She is going to be here in the kitchen next week, reviewing Love and Basketball. Nice. Here we go. Here we go. Here I'll we go. From my heart. Yeah. Yeah. See. So uh, Simone had her chance. She did. She, she had did. her chance, but. Stephanie came and swept it up, and we will be reviewing Love and Basketball next week here on the Michelle Mission with Stephanie Humphrey, a.k.a. Tech Life Steph. All right. Promises to be a very cool show. Okie dokie, ladies and gentlemen. This show will be available on MichelleMission.com. Apple Podcasts, slash iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and every place and any place a good podcast be, as well as every Saturday at 1 p.m. in an edited radio version on WPPMLP 106.5 FM Philly Cam Radio in Philly and Camden. Check it out. We got to get out of here. He's Vince. I'm Len. In parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.